Well, as we come to the end of the book of Galatians, um, we get to these three pretty specific instructions as Paul's closing remarks. But they come, and it's important that we know that they come from a backdrop of grace that we've seen through the whole book. For four whole chapters, um, Paul relentlessly drummed his drum uh, that we uh, took the words, only ever grace, only ever grace, only ever grace. That's the backdrop to these three specific instructions that we will see this evening, this afternoon. But that's important because when we get to these pretty practical and specific instructions, we've got to know that's the backdrop. It's not that Paul suddenly changes his mind and there's things that you must do to be a Christian, but that these are things that happen when you're living by the Spirit. They come out of trusting grace. So let's go first with the first scenario. I wonder, when you see someone caught in sin, when you observe a sin-driven act, What do you do? Think for a second. Imagine it. Maybe it's happened recently. You see or you hear about something and you just go, wow, that was bad. Maybe it's happened at town church. What's your instinct in that moment as you see it, as you come away, as you think? Do you go home and and you're eager to moan about it, offload to someone that you trust, maybe a a friend on the phone or a spouse. Maybe you've got an air of outrage in your voice as you reflect on something that's happened. I can't believe they did that. Or maybe you attempted to gossip about something that you've seen. You end up over a drink in the pub or you... uh, on a play date, on sofas, around children, and and you can't help but reflect on something that you've seen and have a bit of enjoyment in pointing the finger at someone else, someone else's flaws, a, a way in which they've messed up. Or maybe you're even tempted to go straight to that person, pretty confidently bowl up to them and say, you can't do that if you're a Christian. You're, you're quite keen to reinforce law. You can't do that if you're a Christian. Well, have a look down at verse 1. Here's Paul's instruction. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. And in that one instruction... Paul takes loads of what we've heard already into one specific and practical outworking. If you are led by the Spirit, he says, if you are a recipient of God's grace, if you're a benefactor of the promise, if that's what you trust in, and you see someone caught in sin, you should go to that person and restore them gently. Because... You will share what you trust. You will share what you trust. Remember in chapter 4 we saw the two children. Um, You might remember me and my sister at the table in Pizza Hut. I used that story to talk about the two responses 
The one that believes they deserve to be there. To them it's a well done. It's a pat on the back. They're they're right to be there. To the other, they're just happy to be there. They're just so thankful that they've been invited as a gift. They're, They're completely dependent on the love of the person who brought them. And it creates division. Because if you think you deserve the reward... You will share what you trust. You'll you'll treat others according to that framework of, I can do it, I deserve it, and you must too. It's a legalistic framework. So maybe you'll look around the room at Town Church, and you'll respond to people that are struggling in sin. You'll respond to specific things that you see by saying, I cannot believe you've done that. Or you need to sort yourself out. Because you will share what you trust. And you see, if you do that, you're showing that you're misunderstanding the good news about Jesus. It's only ever grace. But if you trust in God's promise... If you're reliant on his grace, if you know that you're a sinner and the only possible way that you can have a right standing before God is because of what he's done for you, the good news about Jesus, then that's what you'll share. That's what you'll share when you notice someone struggling. So Paul really, he's calling the Galatians and he's calling us to model grace to one another. You'll look at the people around you and say, you're just like me, desperately reliant on God's grace. And I can see a way in which you're straying from it. And so for your sake, I really want to help you. And Paul's saying, you actually do that by addressing the things that you see. But look, just have a look down at a few helpful parameters. Do you see there? He says... Watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Do you see that? Watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. That's being tempted to gloat over the things that you see in others. It's being tempted to notice where others have fallen and big yourself up. Subtly talk yourself up as you put them down because you've seen their sin. Rather than really grieve sin, sometimes we, we revel in the fact that we can get a leg up on someone as we spot something that they do. Paul says, watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. But he says as well, carry each other's burdens. Carry each other's burdens. Do it for the sake of the person. You see, when you go to someone... And you notice their sin and you want to help. That can only be done in the context of a friendship. That can only be done when that person genuinely recognises that you want the very best for them. And as you do that, you'll inevitably be carrying their burden. You can't do it outside of an honest, trusting friendship. One which, by definition, you will be carrying the burdens of life together. It's emotionally weighty. 
So look, maybe really specifically, here's what it could like, look like to us at Town Church. You could say, look, when you did this thing, when you did that, it doesn't change the way I think about you. It doesn't even change the, your status before Jesus. But when you did that, it came from a selfish desire. And, and look, here's the horizontal implication. Here's what happens between you and other people when you do that. And here's the vertical implication. Here's what happens between you and God when you do that. And look, for your sake and for your good, I had to tell you. Look, maybe I can model it in a specific example of you giving feedback to me. Maybe you spot me um, being short-tempered, speaking brashly with someone that I care about. You could say, Simon, when you were short-tempered, when you rose your voice to the people that you love, you snapped at the people you care about, it doesn't change the way I think about you. It doesn't change your status in Jesus. But you know, in that moment, it came from a selfish impatience and anger. And the horizontal implication is that it upsets, it upsets the person that you care about. It makes it hard to live alongside you. It makes it hard to navigate your way around you. And the vertical implication is that it encourages you, Simon, to live in a world that revolves around you and people working to you. And it will take your joy from God because you think most about yourself. And Simon, I wanted to tell you because I genuinely want what's best for you for the sake of your relationship with Jesus. And look, seeing some faces around the room, maybe that's the most intense thing you could ever do, right? Maybe, hopefully, it would be slightly less formulaic. But if you've ever had someone speak to you like that, you'll know that, yes, in that moment it's pretty painful. And you'll know that it's pretty awkward. But the person who so desperately cares for you to point you to the Lord Jesus, desperately wants you to grasp grace, is invaluable. I've had multiple incidents in the last week where I've attempted to do this, badly, I'm sure, where I've attempted to restore gently. And let me be very honest, it's hard and I don't look forward to it and I don't want to do it. But if we at Town Church are going to be people led by the Spirit and not the flesh, if we're going to be people that demonstrate grace to one another, you know if you've got a friend that does this, that someone who genuinely says the difficult things for your sake they're invaluable. Not to point out your flaws, not to get a leg up on you, but because they so desperately want you to cling to grace. I wonder, will you model grace like this? Will you actively go after the opportunities to do that? Will you choose to do that, speak like that for other people, for their sake when it's hard? It comes from the decision to do what's difficult, slightly uncomfortable in the moment, maybe slightly awkward, for the sake of the gospel, doesn't it? For the sake of another person, that they might cling to grace. 
And it's always better in the long term. I wonder what you'd say is your best long-term investment. Maybe uh, your mortgage. Maybe it's real estate, getting into the world of real estate. Maybe it's something else. Maybe you ventured into the world of stocks and shares. A calculated risk over time is a long-term investment that you're convinced of. Uh, maybe it's something a bit more left field. You might say your education is an investment that you plugged time and money into that will inevitably pay off for years to come. Look, Paul's instruction that comes next is all about that long-term investment. His second instruction clings around verse 8. Have a look down. He's saying you will reap what you sow. Look at verse 8. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And look, this is no different to what he's been saying through the book. Do you remember we heard Johnny talk about last week, um, like the Christian has two dogs. The one that you feed will thrive. The one that you don't will die. But the danger is that for the Christian who's got two natures in them, their old self and their new self in the spirit, the danger is that if we just think of it like two equally competing dogs, then it's just the same, isn't it? You wake up every morning and the it's all on you to choose to feed the right dog. But in the spirit, we will choose to sow in the spirit. The spirit, and only the spirit, gives us a very conviction to say no to our old selfish desires. You know that moment where you have a choice before you? You know the thing that you don't want to do. Something inside you says, I don't want to do that anymore. God gives us an active role in his spirit changing work. But Paul wants to say our actions have serious long term consequences. If we time after time after time choose to feed the flesh make the decision to feed our selfish desires, we're, we're choosing a life that leads to destruction. Paul describes it like an investment. And his specific instruction is to invest in two specific places. Have a look at verse 6. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Paul's saying invest good things in the place where you are instructed in the word. Give your time, your money, your best energy, your concentration to the places where you're instructed in God's word. Why? Well, do you remember James 1 verse 18 that we looked at last year? He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Do you see what Paul's saying, verse 9? He's so desperate that in the Spirit we'd reap eternal life. And by the Spirit, the way in which we're transformed and go on being transformed is the Word, the Word of truth that brings new life in those that trust in Jesus. Coming before God's Word at Town Church is making an investment that will well up to eternal life. 
That's why we prioritise it. Do you? Do you invest the best of your energy, your time, your preparation, your money to, to coming under the instruction of God's word? Do you listen? Do you catch up? Do you question? Do you contribute? Do you support those who preach? Do you engage with questions? Is listening to God's word of fundamental importance to you? Paul's saying that's an investment that pays back into eternity. Here's the second place to sow. Look at verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. As we've seen in the previous verses, with the Spirit in us, we have a special responsibility to to those in our family, the church. uh, Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. See, when it comes to an investment, God's church will last for eternity. And so with the Spirit in us, we will have the desire to demonstrate God's grace to one another within the church. We've already seen what that looks like in gentle restoration, but it looks like so many other things as we care sacrificially for one another. We, we watch out, we look to see how each other are doing. Finally, as we come to the end of the book of Galatians, here's the final thing that Paul leaves us with. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Have a look down. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, what Paul's doing as he rounds off Galatians, he's reinforcing what he's been saying all along. It's only ever grace. Do you see uh, verse 11? He wants to make this very clear. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. It's like he's grabbed his pen off his scribe. He's writing it himself and he hasn't got quite as good handwriting. And he's stressing because this is so vitally important. This is how he's going to close off his letter. Here's the point of the book. Here's the things he wants to leave us with. It's not boasting in circumcision. It's not boasting in acts of the flesh. Here's what he wants ringing in our ears as we come away from Galatians. Don't try and impress by means of the flesh. Don't try and hold up your religious practices that you can do. Don't try and be a law keeper. Don't boast about your works. No, And maybe you're just joining us this afternoon. You've not been with us for some of the time in Galatians. You're really welcome. It's great to have you. Maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Please hear Paul when he says this in his summary of the book. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. See, The only thing that makes someone a Christian is putting your trust 
in what Jesus has done for you on the cross. It's the only thing. That's why it's the only thing you could boast in. And if you are sat in the room this afternoon, you just joined us this afternoon, that is on offer to you. Paul's saying you can't boast in anything else. And maybe you read the word boasting and you think, well, very rarely do I catch someone actually verbalising that boasting. Oh, well, I'm all right. I read my Bible every day this month. You don't hear it very often. When you do, it doesn't sound great. Oh, well, did you see how many friends I had at that event last month? Oh, actually, I give a lot of money to a few different charities. Maybe you rarely catch someone speaking like that. Maybe you rarely catch yourself speaking like that. But you see, it's just verbalising where you place your confidence. You see, boasting is all about where we place our confidence. And even if you don't externalise it audibly like that, you could still boast in your performance internally. When you're in danger of attaching your feeling of security, of status, to how you're doing in those things, where you're in danger of placing your security, your confidence in what you do. And you see, those things will give us a false confidence when things are going well, when you're giving money away, when you're praying, when you're sacrificially helping others, when you're on every rotor, when you're first at church, and, and loads of good things, those things might give us some false confidence for a moment. But when you boast in them and not the cross of Christ, you are placing your confidence in the wrong place. And it will show when those things won't, aren't going as well, when you're in the face of real battle with selfish desires, if you place your confidence only in the output, in what you do and how you perform, if that's where your confidence is, then you, your Christian life will be desperate and turbulent. You might say, oh, well, I'm really kind of really thoughtful most of the time to most people. But actually, in some moments, I'm really unkind to the people I love. Where does that leave me before God? Or you might say, I really want to speak to my friends about this truth that I believe, and, and I want to do it most of the time. But I keep wimping out. Am I really confident that the Spirit is at work in me? Or you might say, I really want to say no to that selfish desire, but I keep giving in. Am I really a Christian? And you see what Paul says? We can only draw our confidence from one thing. The cross of Christ. That old life and all of its desires, they've been dealt with. If you trust in Jesus, you have a new life with him. That is where your confidence lies. And with the spirit in you, you will recognise a change. It might feel gradual. A change in those desires as you're transformed to be more like Jesus. Here's our prayer for us at Town Church. That as we reflect on our confidence and where it lies... That as we go on living, that in everything we'd say, only ever 
grace. That we'd cling to the Lord Jesus and what he's done for us. That we would point one another to his grace. That we'd point to the Lord Jesus and what he's done for us. That that would be our only confidence. That that's what we'd base our assurance on. That that's where we'd go when we're flying high in our Christian life. That that's where we'd go where we're struggling. When we're really finding things difficult. Only ever grace. Back to the cross of Christ, where we found and we find our Christian life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that the cross of Christ is the only thing that we can boast in. Father, we admit that we can't boast in any of our own performance. We can't boast in anything that we could do in our own flesh, but we're so thankful that we can come to you and what you've done for us and be sure. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to go away and trust only ever in grace. Amen. We're going to sing together um, a song that we've sung a couple of times that speaks of this grace. So let's stand and sing together.